Are you feeling unfulfilled in life? Do you check your calendar to see when your next moment of fun is scheduled? Do you have a desire to write, paint, woodwork, but you don't know why? You've been a type A perfectionist for far too long, but it's not too late to be type C, the creative type. Welcome to the Type C Podcast with Jane Bite Me. Jane is a corporate lawyer who also writes paranormal novels. The purpose of this podcast is to help you rise above the fog of mundane life and carve out space in your schedule to shine your bright creative light. Hey everyone, um, Jane here. So we are joined by a very special guest, Eric Ajo. He is an artist and you can find him online. Um, what's your online uh, website address? My website is uh, uh, Eric Ajo, or Ajo Studio, A-H-O-S-T-U-D-I-O. Right. And, um, and so he's an artist, professional artist. He's what I would call a type C, um, but we'll get more into that as we discuss. Um, so I would recommend that you check him out online and you view all of his work. It's really beautiful. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been trying to battle, you know, the world's energies and still remain um, a creative, which is, I think, a very challenging time right now in this world. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about what is a type C and, and also kind of battle the stereotype that uh, even though he does live in a farmhouse in Vermont, he, he is actually part of society and a functioning member of society. And so yes. it's not true that when you're a creative full time that you just kind of disappear. That's not everyone. So, so we were just discussing, um, how you're actually also, you would consider yourself to be a type A person as well. You know, a little bit. Um, Jane, may I call you Jane? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, you know, yeah, actually, I don't know what type I am by, by those, by that nomenclature. And I'm, I'm really interested to learn more about what type C means, because right. as I said in our, as we chatted offline here, um, it's the first time I've been called a creative. So that's, that's new to me. It's kind of exciting to have. What, what do people you know, call you? Do they just say you're an artist or? Well, I call myself a painter. Okay. Um, and, and around here, that's mistaken often for the house, for, for the <laughs> tradesman, the house painter, which, which uh, in disclosure, I also was, that is my trade. I did yeah. learn to do that, but no, I'm an, I'm an artist and, okay. and, and, and what that means is um, it means both working in incredible isolation, mm -hmm. typically in a, in normal, under normal circumstances, which has been an unusual sort of preparation for this, um, well, I still call it an unexpected pandemic, although right. we do learn that there had been, um, you know, there had been warning flags out for quite a while. Right. And even a few feature films, uh, you know, depicting <laughs> what could possibly happen. Yeah. Um, but so that, so the isolation of my work mm -hmm. has in some ways prepared me better for this isolation, but not mm -hmm. fully. And so nor, explain, or, explain when you say total isolation, explain what do you mean? Well, I work, um, you know, I live at home with my family in a small village of about 500 people in Vermont, um, well away from the art world where I have a career and where 
you know, where I exhibit my paintings and I, I also try to function. And I'm going to get to that. There's a mm -hmm. kind of uh, um, bifurcation here, kind of, mm -hmm. there, there, well, there are many, it's, it's probably more than just two. I mean, there are many aspects of life one has to deal with. And, and I also have a family, my mm -hmm. wife and two kids. But my studio is a half a mile from the house. It's in um, what's now a, a mixed use facility, but it was originally a girl's orphanage. So mm -hmm. um, the history of that place resonates every time I walk into my studio door. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, underneath the, um, underneath, uh, well, picture this, my, my studio is at one end of a junior high school gymnasium. Right. The orphanage was essentially a junior high school. And my studio now occupies the stage, you know, mm -hmm. the place where these, these orphans, these, these, um, these children would hold their pageants and make their presentations. And in fact, there are still um, crepe paper streamers hanging from the, the rafters and, a, and an old kickball from the 1970s and roller skates from the 1950s underneath my, my workspace. You know, right. so there are historical remnants of this. So, um, so I go there and I close the door and the outside world does not enter, right? I have no, um, I have no Wi-Fi. Um, there's no cell service. Um, and how big, how big are your pieces of work? Just so people have an understanding. These are not little, these are not little paintings. Are, no, well, I do make small paintings, but mm -hmm. uh, paintings I exhibited just recently in New York at DC Moore Gallery, which I also hope your, your yep. uh, listeners will Mm -hmm. will uh, we'll, uh, tune into. Um, those were um, up to eight feet in height. So right. I, I also make work on a very large scale. Uh, I paint the landscape. I make, um, you know, abstract, uh, abstract representations of the landscape. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, well, whenever I have the opportunity, painting at that scale is exhilarating. And it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I need a space to do that. So my studio space works for that, but it also closes me off, right? right. Happily, happily. And I, I, I feel like I need to be um, away from everything, frankly, when I'm painting, mm -hmm. because when I'm in my studio, I'm also imagining myself being alone in the woods, oh, which, is, okay. which is by and large the subject of my paintings. And, and after some months, when mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by my paintings, you know, I think any, any visitor to the studio would have that feeling too of being surrounded by, by the wilderness. And, and so each year I, I work to replicate that. And so there's a kind of hermit aspect to that. So let's say you get into a big argument um, with someone on the phone. Do you enter your studio or do you try to stay away from the studio because you don't want to, you know, interfere with the atmosphere at all? So you're, so, so if, so if my mood is, so. Let's say you get, three, yeah, somebody, three. yeah, somebody gets you really fired up, you know, when you're outside your studio and um, you are like, oh my God, I'm so angry. Do you allow yourself to go to the studio or do you wait to kind of keep the, the space clear of that energy? I think the, um, it takes, it's a half mile, as I said, so it takes about 10 minutes to walk there. Mm -hmm. Typically that's enough time to defeat <laughs> any anything right. but but more to that point whenever i enter the studio mm -hmm. i i've tr i've trained myself and not not 
not necessarily in a conscious way, but it's, it's an accumulation of experience over time. The only thing that matters when I go into that studio is the work in the studio. Okay. Right. The outside world does not cross the threshold. Uh, my office is at home. Mm-hmm. My, okay. my research library is at home mm-hmm. where I'm standing here now. I mean, I, so I, you know, if there's a subject that I'm particularly curious about, I'll, I'll do the research here and I'll bring the books with me. Right. You know? But, um, but I do my writing at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that too. It, I mean, as much as I'm a painter, I also, there's a lot of communication. So that's, you know, there's, an, there's yeah. a of that, but most importantly, the business aspect of being an artist, which is in uh, by and large, quite accidental. Right. I didn't set out to be in business. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, when you sell something and then you buy some more materials and you mm-hmm. make more paintings and you sell, you know, business accrues. And, right. and I learned early on not to carry any of that, either mm-hmm. the stress of, um, of well, failure or, right. the, or, the, or the, the, um, the override of success, you know, that right. exuberance of success into the studio. So none of it comes in. That is so good. That is such good advice because I feel like marketing, I love writing my books, Mm -hmm. but, and I might have to switch and maybe have two spots, but I feel like whenever I try to market my books, my creativity just dies. (laughs) Slow death. (laughs) You know, as I'm sort of getting a little bit older, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been painting for 30 years. I've been at my craft for Mm -hmm. 30 years since I was, um, well, little more than 30 years since I was 22 years old. Right. I'm, I'm 54 now. Mm-hmm. And um, it is harder to separate. It's harder to make, you know, it's harder to multitask, frankly. Right. Um, I still do it. My kids don't think that I'm very good at it. <laughs> I like to say, you know, back in the day, you know. You know yeah. Uh, but, um, and, and so, so yeah, so, so, the studio is a necessary kind of isolation. Um, and I, and I just wanted to get back to the, to the inverse of that, which is being the front person Mm -hmm. for my work. Mm -hmm. Right. So while I make the work in isolation and there is an element of being the hermit in the hermitage, right. In the wilderness, like St. Jerome or someone, I, uh, it, it does, that alone won't won't work, and it won't serve me um, as a steward of my work. Right, um, it, and it won't satisfy myself as a person because I desperately need people to interact with. Right, and and I like to meet people. I like to talk to them about what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. I like to tell them what I'm doing for sure. Um, and and I find all sorts of opportunities to do that. But there is a switch that has to go on and off uh, in order for that. uh, That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, And even as like someone that's been doing it for a while that you've kind of acknowledged that it seems to be a common thing that people have to separate the, the art and the business side, but also you can't isolate yourselves completely, even though you'd love to, I would love to say I could isolate myself completely. I know that that would probably drive me crazy even at the end. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, um, I mean, I think, I think we, 
I think the way we work, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the yeah. way we work creatively in any field really reflects the way we're constructed as people, as individuals. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and there are certainly stories of artists and writers too, for that matter, who are um, just, who are um, isolatos. They are, they, they, they are happy to just go to their studios, do their work, and they don't need to encounter anyone else. Their work gets out in the world um, by, you know, the good, um, well, by, by agents, essentially. So mm-hmm. they have a, a you know, literary agent or they have a representative who will be their, that front person. And in my case, um, I'm very lucky to, to work with a gallery in New York City. Right. Um, and uh, that's DC Moore Gallery. And I consider my relationship with them one of uh, total collaboration and partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's good. And, and, that, and that's reflected in the business model we've established. And mm-hmm. it, it's also reflected in the way that um, I also have to show up. Uh, right. to represent my work mm-hmm. it, uh, and to, to really augment the work they do representing my work. It's, they're, it's not just my voice alone, nor is it just theirs. Right. Um, and, and, and so that gives me an opportunity to break my isolation mm-hmm. and go out into the world. But into yeah. the world with people who are also interested in art, which is nice. So yeah. that's nice that you have kind of that, that, that culture that you can, you can dive into. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk yeah. about, talk about maybe someone that is thinking about painting. They feel the urge to start painting. And I know you mentioned that you got the first compulsion to paint at like 10 years old. Um, but what about, what would words of encouragement would you have for someone who is, is really feeling that pull? but maybe they're just kind of hesitating. What would you, what would you tell them? Oh, the hesitation is your biggest, is, is the biggest obstacle. And as mm-hmm. soon as you can put the pencil to paper, mm-hmm. and I suppose this would be true for the writer too, but certainly um, for, the, for the, the maker of anything visual, it doesn't happen in your head. Mm-hmm. Right. You can think about it. You can think about it. But it, it the, the act of creation, that's capital C you're talking about, doesn't happen until the pencil or the brush or the pen, whatever the medium is, connects with a surface. And right. It's about a tra- it's about tra- transferring whatever is inside of you mm-hmm. um, to that surface. And that surface is going to be the 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 springboard to um, the larger world. And it may, that larger world might just be your neighbor who you show it to, or it might be your right. child who you say, you know, or the child who says, Hey mom, what do you mm-hmm. think of this? But, you know, as an adult making these things, you know, well, first you, you, I should also say you're the first audience, right. And, and as the audience, you're the, you're the one who has a lot to climb over. There's a lot of debris of, mm-hmm. of life that you have to get over. And that, and that debris, you know, it's echoes in your head from mm-hmm. things that you've heard as a child, right? Uh, probably things that you've heard that have been, um, uh, I mean, very commonly negative and mm-hmm. not supportive, no matter what your endeavor is, you know, 
parents, parents, um, and I'm a parent myself, um, we don't have a clue. And we sometimes, right. we sometimes, well, not sometimes, most of the time don't say the right thing. Right. You know? And, um, you know, so, so you have to step over the voices in your head, step over the hesitation and make something, but you also have to make it without worrying too much about what it is, because it's not, it isn't, it, it hasn't become anything yet. And it takes a okay. while for that. It takes a while for that, um, that idea, that thing that's in your head, that, that compulsion, um, that desire to express yourself, that desire to show something, um, it takes a while for that to form. Mm -hmm. And you have to give it time and you have to kind of create, you have to create, you know, enough room for it to live. So do you ever have, I know for me, I'll see scenes of my book and then I'll try to write them down as, as I see them in my head, but sometimes they don't actually come out the way that I see them in my head. Like I have to go back. Does it ever happen to you where you have something visual in your mind and then you go and create and your body just doesn't seem to, to follow what it is you want or how do you follow what's in your mind? That's kind of a complicated question too. That's a, well, that's a <laughs> wonderful, that's a wonderful question about the creative transfer process right, you know, how it goes right. from inside to outside um and again it's it's something that i've taught myself over many years so i mm -hmm. i don't I, you know i don't suffer from um you know artist block right uh, i suffer from general laziness sometimes <laughs> i suffer from a little procrastination sometimes um but artist block isn't something that I experience typically because um, when early on, I, I, I learned to feel what that might, I, I learned to understand when it was kind of creeping up. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like my father would say, work will solve everything. You know, mm -hmm. basically, well, work would also distance you from any kind of emotional complication you just just work right right <laughs> so I mean that doesn't fly anymore like culturally but right but that it is true at least in my experience that working working will push you through a crisis or whether it's minor or major it'll you will get to the other side you have to trust in your own abilities okay so, and that trust takes time that trust takes yeah. time and it's, it's a, it is about honoring um, a gut instinct and learning how to um, and learning how to maintain that uh, because you're, I believe in, at least in painting, your first instinct is the right one. Okay. Uh, it, it typically, in my case, it's typically the right one. And then, and then what happens is your willpower, then it's a battle of will. Mm -hmm. You want it to be one way, but the, mm -hmm. the object wants to be something else. And that's, and that, and this is a finer point of suggesting that the object has a life of its own. Right. That's so fascinating. The, you know, but you've yeah. heard, you've heard the expression, you know, Oh, this novel wrote itself. Yes. I mean, well, cause, because my characters, I want them to be one way right. and no, they want to be a certain way. So they're the object I didn't realize that there was that similarity between writing yeah. and painting. 
Well, you know, because I mean, more that the, the more that I'm involved with, the more I understand that I'm I'm making I'm making or replicating to a certain extent, but really making anew a an object of the natural world, mm-hmm. something that hasn't existed before. Right. Right. It's a new thing. It's like um, and words. Um, uh, the poet Wordsworth said that um, you know a work of art. In, when it comes into completion, can be recognized like a mountain, a lake, or a landscape, you know, that it becomes mm-hmm. an element of the natural world. A, the work of art becomes right. an element of the natural world. And that, when I learned that, um, well, back in my 20s, it made incredible sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't yet able to believe that my work was doing that. It took me still another 20 years for it to feel like, all right, that's, that is happening here. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, That's interesting. And so, but, you know, uh, adhering to that gut instinct is, is the key to building that, that path. Did that gut instinct get stronger as you, like a muscle, as the more you used it, the more it kind of got stronger. So if someone doesn't really understand that instinct yet, it's fair to say that they will, but just with practice and getting rid of the clutter. I, I don't know if it gets stronger. I think it becomes, it becomes more clear. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not confused with other, it's not confused with self-doubt or questions or over, even overconfidence. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just becomes more clear that no, this is the right, you know, like, this has to be yellow and it has to be this kind of yellow. And there's no question about that. Right. Um, And, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say as a starting point, because again, the, the painting or whatever you're doing takes on a life of its own. And then the will has to step aside. I believe. When, When you say gut instinct as a painter, I'm picturing, and I'm sorry, I don't know more about painting, but I'm picturing like a palette and your gut instinct, I choose this color versus I'm going to put that color here. I choose this color. I'm going to put that. And it's just a constant flow of, you know, hand movement yeah. to uh, the, for the, you know, medium that you're using. Right. Well, that's, um, that's necessary in part, but it's, it's also about um, the arrangement of the, sh- it's a, the arrangement of the shapes, the arrangement of um, the, the, it's about the construction of a spatial relationship that mm-hmm. I am mostly it's about that. That's my, that's what mm-hmm. I'm coming down to in the sort of the crux of my work. It's like, it's myself as a the, standing there in relation to this tree or in relation to oh, this, mm-hmm. this forested landscape. How do I, how do I represent that feeling of space and that feeling of air and atmosphere and, con- and, and connection? Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, in, 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 so the the first impulse is often the right one mm-hmm. in that case. So we talked about um, one time about how I wrote that, and I have on my blog. I wrote about how when I write, I feel like it's very vulnerable. Do you remember that discussion? How I yes, feel? I, yes. I was yeah. like, well, it's more vulnerable than artwork, right? Because I'm putting my words out there and people are reading for me from me essentially but you had a great answer that painting that it is a it is vulnerable in a sense and so 
I just want to, for all those type Cers who want to be creatives out there, vulnerability is just sort of name of the game and it's just something you have to do. And so how is a painter um, also vulnerable like a writer? Oh, um, that's, that is a <laughs> wonderful question. And it's so much on my mind these mm -hmm. days because, um, you know, for uh, just because of all sorts of twists and turns of life, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, much of which includes loss, uh, important, um, important loss in my life. Um, I've had the occasion to re reflect on what I'm doing, like what mm -hmm. I'm responding to. And I realized that while I was feeling vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, my paintings were still not representing that. I mean, it's a wordless expression, right? But, but they, they, they weren't forming the equation. They weren't becoming an equivalent of mm -hmm. my, my, uh, of my feeling at the, at, at, at the moment. And I realized I was still hiding behind um, veneers. I, I mean, that's the word that comes to mind for me because I mm -hmm. think in terms of like pulling away layers of things in order to reveal something as a painter. Mm -hmm. I, often mm -hmm. I often scrape things away and, and right. that, that action reveals something. And you know, I'm not painting uh, sorrowful figures and, and so on, but what I am doing is responding to the natural world. And I realized that my expression of, you know, of vulnerability, my human vulnerability mm -hmm. needed to emerge more fully to satisfy that formation of an equivalent. And um, I started to get there in, with this new bot, new series of paintings in a way that I'd never done before. And what was the series of paintings called again? So people um, can kind of see well, and review this, them. This series, it, it was just exhibited. Um, they're called uh, the source paintings. Um, na they're just named for this pursuit of uh, the source of a river. Mm -hmm. uh, the source of several rivers actually, but one in particular that runs through my village. And I wanted to just follow the path of the river upstream to its source, like that little point where it emerges from the earth, mm -hmm. right? And of course it's impossible to do mostly because those the sources of rivers defy location they, because they kind of emerge in a kind of messy way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's subterranean, and you you can see how this metaphor is starting to. Yeah, I'm well, I mean, the metaphor the metaphor of the river is already well established as representing life. Life, yeah. But the idea of like looking through the you know the the muck essentially for its beginning really mm -hmm. appealed to me. So the paintings are a kind of path through the woods. Um, they're very earthy. They're mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of space in depth, you know, you know, there's a middle ground, foreground distance in the paintings that, that I, I really feel that's, I mean, I respond to that. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you know, you, you feel this shock in your chest when you encounter a big open space or you, you come out of a tight thicket and you open into a big space. There's a, there's a feeling there. You know, or you come that, out of quarantine. <laughs> well, when, when we come out of quarantine, we might just feel, we might just feel that, but Starting in March, mm -hmm. I allowed myself to spend, and, and this may be like another 
um, important thing to share for everyone is that I just allowed myself to spend more time with my paintings. Mm -hmm. I saw, I didn't rush, I didn't rush them. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that in some cases previously I had been rushing them and not really enjoying them quite as much. Mm -hmm. right? And so I just learned to stay with them. And these were little paintings. Right. Um, and I would stay with them for the, I'd paint them for the entire day. You know, I'd, I'd make the forest happen and then I'd scrape it off and I'd paint it again and I'd scrape it off. And I did that like hour after hour and sometimes into the next day. And what I realized then is I was kind of creating a little, uh, like I was working like nature worked, you know, nature creates something and then it destroys it and then it, something else emerges and then that gets destroyed. And then, so I was in and out of this kind of rhythm of creation. This sounds wonderful. I want to go to like a winter stream right now and just sit oh. in some snow. <laughs> well, no snow here, but it's, the, it's frozen around the edges, you know, and everything, yeah. everything, is, the water is really black mm. and, and the, uh, the forest is open and bare and kind mm -hmm. of still really earthy. It's a, it's a wonderful time to be in Vermont. Yeah. Right, sounds beautiful. And yeah. um, you actually mentioned something that was beautiful. You mentioned something about how you felt for this series that you had to get more um, in touch with your emotions that you weren't necessarily, they weren't reflecting your emotional state at the time. And it sounds like one, you wanted them to be a reflection of your emotional state at the time, uh, or at least maybe more accurate or no. Well, I'm going to, I think it has a little bit more to do with feeling than emotion. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, See, that's uh, my type A. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb here mm -hmm. and say that it's not my job to fill the paintings with emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that might strike some of your listeners as odd, but what I think the painter does is the painter brings their uh, sensitivity, which is often an unusual sensitivity. I'm not suggesting mine is, but we certainly know of painters who are particularly sensitive. They have a touch. They have mm -hmm. a look to their paintings that is otherworldly, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And that sensitivity is related to how they feel about what they're either depicting or imagining. Okay. And it's the depth of that feeling expressed through a sensitive rendering mm -hmm. that is interesting to me. Um, and I think whether, um, you know, my, I don't think my emotion, um, whether I'm happy or sad or grieving or, or exuberant um, plays a role in that. I think, um, um, I think, well, actually, I think grief might, I think there, there are a few that that do, but in general, mm -hmm. my feeling and my sensitivity sets the groundwork for you then as a viewer, mm -hmm. as someone experiencing my world, you know, like I just said, we're creating objects that are new in this natural right. world. Mm -hmm. You get to, you get to meet that feeling with your emotion. Right. That's, that's how it's coming to mean, that's what it's, that's what it's arriving at for me. When, mm -hmm. So when I look at 
when I look at a painting, it's, it's not, um, I mean, let's pick a painter, um, you know, George O'Keefe, mm -hmm. Agnes Martin, Winslow Homer, um, uh, Richard Diebenkorn, whatever. It's not their emotion that I'm responding to. It's their sensitivity I'm responding mm. to. Like the details, the details that, that maybe they highlight from a particular scene that then you are translating with your emotions. Well, it, a couple of the artists I mentioned are, are abstract painters. So it's really less about detail and more about mm -hmm. the sensitivity of feeling of that, mm -hmm. the quality of a blue. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, blue, I mean, it, the blue is just a, it could be anything, it's the blouse you're wearing, mm -hmm. but, but rendered with a certain sensitivity, it can be magical, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we know that like Vermeer made a blue that was like, uh, undeniably from some other place in, in the world. It didn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. just an observation. It was, mm -hmm. it was an observation filtered through feeling. Um, and anyhow, so, and, and then I, and then I get to have an, an emotional response to that. Yeah, right? I think that's, I think that's fascinating. Um, so uh, anytime, so you said that you don't, you don't get stuck or you don't suffer from artist block. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, do you have any quote, you said you don't have any quotes that you've heard about painting or what do you tell yourself um, when you're trying to get into the zone after like a, a session of procrastination, right? How do you stop yourself? What do you tell yourself when you're procrastinating? Um, uh, let's get to work. <laughs> okay. That's it. I, and you I had a finish, um, many years ago when I was living in Finland, I had, um, a studio mate who is a remarkable painter and he, he continues to paint, but he also is the chief set designer for the Finnish national opera. Um, in fact, he did the set. If you look that up, he did the sets for <laughs> Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde that, okay. that's on view now there. But he would, we, we, would, we would come into the studio sort of about the same time and we would sort of sit and look at our paintings and procrastinate. <laughs> but for a painter, you know, it's hard to say if, if staring at the painting you made the day before is procrastinating. But there is a point when that just goes, that inaction goes on too long. Mm -hmm. and he would, he would then, he would then just clap his hands and say, okay, let's work. <laughs> so I sort of say that same thing to myself. Okay. That's fun. I can it see is fun. that. I can it see is that. Fun. And I, I, um, it is fun. And I remember my friend Mark who then uh, really fondly and, and, you know, I'm in touch with him on Instagram. So I, yeah. I usually let him know when I've, uh, <laughs> when I've, I've, I've conjured his memory. Let's work, that's fun. Let's work. Uh, what do you tell yourself when, uh, I know as a writer, as writing my new book, I'm all, I feel like I've had to counter a lot of doubt, self-doubt more so than the people around me. Um, what do you tell yourself when you feel any sort of, do you feel doubt about your work? And what do you tell yourself to kind mm -hmm. of say, buck up, you know, this is gonna happen. Uh, we're all friends here, right? So yes. I, can speak, I can speak freely. <laughs> we can, and we can edit whatever we need to. So you're okay. Well, no, no, no. Well, so self-doubt, um, 
I'm really, I, I think it's important that you mention that because, um, you know, one of the messages we get as young artists is um, like Frank Stella, the painter said, you're never, you never have a problem. Uh, everything is always fine in the studio. Do not let anyone in the outside world know that you're uh, struggling. Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't qualify the struggle, but that could mean anything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like from mixing that blue to, you know, dealing with an emotional crisis. But, um, but his point was also rather inhuman, you know, but he was thinking about how vicious the art world is. The art mm -hmm. world doesn't want to know if you're having a hard time. The, the art world can be cruel. It can be Which vicious. is very surprising considering how Oh no, it's not sensitive. a nurturing. Yeah, it's not a that's kind shocking. Of nurturing place. Artists can be in their own cohorts. Mm -hmm. They can be, well, in order to be kind, you also have to be really tough. Because if, you know, if you're, if you're putting your paintings out there in the world, they have mm -hmm. to stand up to scrutiny. Right. Right. So um, you have to be, and, and, you know, there are different, you know, there are different um, approaches to this. I mean, the famous one uh, is the kind of, you know, it, it, it aligns itself with no pain, no gain. I mean, in, in the process of building up the young artist, you know, the mentor professor might reduce them to tears mm -hmm. and so, you, you know, and really tear the work apart Right. Everything you've worked on, imagine yourself as a, as a young art student or a graduate student, everything you've invested your time in for six weeks or, depend, or three months or whatever. And then the critique comes along and it, it just gets torn to shreds. Right. Um, I've had that experience. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it was, it was awful. It, it was, right. it felt awful. It was, it was hell. And then you leave going, Oh my God, what, what worth do I have? Right. However, if you can counter that with, oh, I hear what's being said. And then you can internalize it in a positive way. Well, that's how it's supposed to work, right? Mm -hmm. Take mm -hmm. that and then you, uh, because the, the world is tough. Mm -hmm. You know, people have a lot of choices. People, have, people are smart, fundamentally smart. And, um, and, then, and then add to being fundamentally smart, um, add to that the, the group of people who are also very well educated in what they're looking at, which right. are two different, two different things. Um, so, you know, there are people who come into my shows and they spend five seconds there and they leave, right? And that's, mm -hmm. like, whoa, you, you go, well, I wonder what just went through their mind, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, this isn't, flash flash bang boom like they're getting in some other gallery right um, but then there are people who come and they spend hours and then they come back again and again and again because they they can't get enough of it mm -hmm. now that's i mean that's another kind of response yeah that means that i've i'm sharing something for real mm -hmm. um but the idea of um self getting over the self-doubt is in part helped by your teachers mm -hmm. and that and that strong criticism actually can help you get over your self-doubt it um so long as it's not mean-spirited you have to trust 
you have to trust the person who's issuing the critical remark. So what I'm, I'm sort of hearing is that um, try to find mentors in the yeah. painting world that you trust, even if it's online or something like that, like someone that maybe doesn't review your, I don't know, where do painters go? Like it, if they want to, like we have writers groups, are yeah. there painting groups or yeah. art, local art classes that people can go sure. to? I, just here locally, there's, uh, there, there are many different uh, community arts organizations offering classes. Um, okay. There are also groups of five or six or seven or eight artists who get together um, for critique and conversation and so on. It's okay. less so during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, um, I, I don't actively participate in, in a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, like, I guess I just like to be on my own. I do, um, whenever I'm invited, I do join and, and offer. I, I love talking to young artists about mm -hmm. their work. And um, I mean, I think I've found a way to be really tough um, because it's responsible, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, if you see something, say something. Right. It's a sign of love. I think when I first started writing yeah. and I handed my work to people, there were some people who would be silent and say nothing. And that was more painful to me in the beginning than the people that actually sat down and said, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. And then I realized those people are actually like looking at my work, thinking about my work, yeah. using their knowledge base to, and so I don't know from whenever people mark up my papers now, <laughs> even at work, I consider it to be a sign of, of love that they're yeah. willing to share themselves as a teacher with me. So it takes a while to get there, I think, when you can. I think one. you're right. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I, so, and I, I have found a way to counter those remarks with also the positive remark, because there is something, you know, there is something that is, is being shown that is good. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's not hard to do that. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a nuanced sort of balance, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and you have to say things in a way that people can hear you. Right. I think that's interesting. But did you have any last words of advice for anyone that wants to start this adventure or they're curious or? The, the only way to start is to start. Right. And then, you know, and then you and, and then you have to trust and find your own, you know, you find your own path through mm -hmm. it all. I mean, I, I mean, that's the cliche is finding the path. Uh, but it's true. And it doesn't, it, it, nothing will reveal itself right away. So it's, it really is a, a, a game of patience. Mm -hmm. Boy, I don't have that, but I do. <laughs> um, well, but you have, per, well, or perseverance if you don't have patience. Right. right. Um, and so you'd agree with me. I mean, we're both kind of, you've been on the journey a lot longer and you're sort of, you know, on your journey still, and I'm starting my journey, but you'd agree with me that it's worth it like getting that creativity and that creative flow is totally worth it. Well, it has been for me. And in fact, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably the only solution there was out there for me. And, you know, I, I like to joke that I, that in doing what I do, I've lost all my employable skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I, you know, I answer to myself and, and to my family first and then, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I have the partnership with the gallery. So I do have to participate. Right. But 
but by and large, I have this wonderful support network. And that's, that's the other thing. It's, mm-hmm. It is hard to do it by yourself. In fact, it's almost impossible to be creative by yourself. Right. Um, you need, and you, but, but your community can, can mean, you know, many different things. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be what's just right at hand. It could be, you know, your neighbor and people down the street and your, you know, different your, or, you know, civic organizations and whatnot. Right. But, but hopefully creativity can flourish despite these tough times. And, um, you know, the more people that embrace it, the better for all of us, I think. I think so too. And, and there is, you know, as a, um, a favorite teacher of mine has said, there's room in the world for everyone and mm-hmm. there's enough room to, accom- to accommodate what you've made. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so get out there and, and make things and write things and make things. And then, you know, and then take advantage of the culture we live in now and share it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless you are a true um, hermit and you don't need that, um, share it, share the work you're doing and, and, um, and get a response, but don't mm-hmm. let that response, good or bad, steer you from your gut instinct. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And just share it because even if like your artwork may not be for everyone, my books about parent, you know, vampires <laughs> might not be for everyone, but you never know how what you create is going to touch someone and how it might touch someone. So it's at least worth the attempt. It's, um, Jane, that is very true. Uh, you just, you have no way to know, uh, nor can you predict how anyone's going to respond to what you've Okay. Brought. And you well, might perfect. just surprise someone. And yourself too, which and is yourself. always uh, adventurous. So thank you for listening to the Type C Podcast with Jane Bite Me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about Jane and check out her books, visit janebiteme.com and follow her on Instagram at janebiteme. Until the next episode, keep shining your creative light. The journey is worth it.